So uh, this morning, if you'll open up to John chapter 6, we are two weeks in our series called Dollars and Cents, and uh, I think Cody joked last week about the fact that you decided to come to church anyways. You saw we were talking about money, and you decided to pull in, so you're, you're either super spiritual or super crazy, one or the other, and so <laughs> I'm going to go with super spiritual looking at you this morning. I think every, all the spiritual people are here uh, this morning, uh, not that the ones aren't here aren't. Uh, John chapter 6, so... So last week, you know, Cody started uh, a great job on the message talking about the tithe and the importance of the tithe in the believer's life and how, man, uh, before the law, during the law, after the law, man, God, God kind of institutes this thing uh, to provide for his church, for the ministry of his church, for the, the, the leadership of his church. God uses it uh, to minister here at home in Jerusalem, so to speak, in our context of our church culturally uh, right here in front of us. This morning... We're going to talk about going beyond that border of just our church and reaching the world with the gospel. And what a great illustration to that with our mission minute this morning, because David Moat is a missionary that we support in that north, kind of northwest Alabama area to take the gospel to to places like Calhoun, where we normally wouldn't go unless we have an opportunity. But we're able to partner with guys like him that, that can get in there. So really during Monday through Sunday, I mean, there are people that are ministering that we partnered with in Jesus's name that are ministering all over this planet. And uh, and to me, that really is exciting because we get to partner with people and see the gospel reach the end of the world. And so uh, this morning is our second week in dollars and cents. And this this morning, we're going to ask God to help us make sense of global missions. How do we accomplish global missions? How do we see the, 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 the gospel get to the whole entire world? That is the Great Commission that, that God tasked us with. And I don't know about you, man, you hear that, and, and it may seem a little impossible, right? Like, how in the world are we supposed to reach the world with the gospel? I think John chapter 6 is going to give us some uh, clarity on that. Now, this is the portion of Scripture that deals with the feeding of the 5,000. How many of you have ever heard that story out of the New Testament, feeding of the 5,000? So listen, the cool thing about this story is that it's found in all four gospel accounts. It's found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the feeding of the 5,000. What's interesting is when you compare the gospels together, the virgin birth isn't found in all four gospels. Did you know that? It's not recorded in every single one of the gospels. The ascension of Christ after his resurrection isn't found in all four gospels, but this issue of, or or this this record of the feeding of the 5,000 is found in all four gospels. And so I'm not minimizing the virgin birth because we wouldn't have a savior without the virgin birth. Amen. God had to come uh, in the flesh, but he was born of a woman. He was born of the Holy Spirit of God. And listen, I'm not minimizing the ascension of Christ because without the resurrection and the ascension, man, we wouldn't have any hope. But I will say this, that God in his providence put four accounts of this particular miracle in his Bible for a reason. God is emphasizing that he has a heart for all people, and, and we're going to see that this morning. John chapter 6, if you'll look at verses 1 to 14 very quickly, we're going to read this passage and get going in the notes, all right? The Bible says in verse 1, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and he sat, uh, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And when Jesus lifted up his eyes and he saw a great company come to him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? 
And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that everyone may take a little. And you kind of want to just pay attention to that part of the verse, because Philip is thinking, hey man, there's so many people here. If we spent 200 penny worth of bread, everybody's only going to get a little bit. They're not going to be satisfied. They'll only get a a handful of, of food. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men to sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Many times we call this the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. There were 5,000 men there, but there were also women and children. So an est- a good estimation really is about ten to 15,000 people uh, that, are, that are here at this miracle, okay? Uh, the Bible says in verse 11 that Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down and likewise of the fishes as much as they, they would. And when, when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which remained over and above them, which they had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet which should come into the world. Great passage. We're going to study it in detail very quickly this morning. Pray with me and let's ask God to to speak to us this morning. Father, uh, we thank you again for for David Moat. We thank you for uh, the ministry at Calhoun and for many other schools that he's able to, to get into uh, Lord, this, this morning we'll see an, an example of what that partnership really looks like. And uh, Lord, bless us as we, as we try to understand your scripture, see where we fit uh, in the story, and help us to give above and beyond our tithes so that we can reach the world with the gospel. God, we give you the time and we trust your Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, point number one in your notes is this. I want to show you the compassion of Jesus Christ for the mission uh, there's 5,000 men, there's, there's 10 to 15,000 people here, the disciples are doing ministry with Jesus, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself has compassion on the multitudes, the Bible says in verse 5 that when, he, when Jesus lift up, lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come unto him. We don't have the time this morning to, to lay down all the cross-references, but in Matthew chapter 14, Another account of this same story, here's what the Bible says. Jesus went forth and he saw a great multitude and he was moved with what, church? He was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. And and when it was evening, his disciples came and said, this is a desert place, the time is now past. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals or food. But Jesus said unto them, they need not depart, give ye them to eat. And, and I just want to start this thing about the mission that we're called to by helping us understand Jesus has compassion for the entire world. I mean, he has compassion for the whole world. The multitudes in this story really represent the masses, the world that we're called to reach. The Bible says that when he saw that multitude, he was moved with compassion toward them. And listen, the Bible says that he healed their sick. And so here's a ministry principle or a ministry key that we can take away from this. Listen, the lost world is sick in their sin, and they need to be healed. Would you agree with that statement? The lost world, listen, weren't weren't you sick in your sin when Jesus Christ saved you from that, pulled you out of that, forgave you of that? Listen, the lost world is sick in their sin, and they need to be healed. 
Jesus had compassion. When he saw them, he was moved with compassion. What do you see when you see the world? Don't answer out loud. (laughs) Don't answer out loud. I mean, you, you may see a multitude of problems that you don't want to deal with. These disciples saw that. They saw this multitude of people, and they said, you know what, Lord, just send those people away so they can buy food themselves. Jesus said, I'm compassionate toward these people. I've healed their sick, and now we need to feed them. When you go to Mark's account, the Bible says the same thing. We don't, we're not going to turn there for time's sake, but in Mark chapter 6, the Bible says that when he came out, he saw much people. Jesus saw the people, and the Bible says he was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And, and kind of the second ministry key is this. The lost world are as sheep without the shepherd that they need. And, and, and that ought to move us to compassion. We ought to see the lost world as sick in their sin, just like we were. We need to see the lost world as sheep without a shepherd, just like we were. Can you, can you remember those days before you had a relationship with Jesus? John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says of himself, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And and that's how we need to view the lost world. We don't need to view the lost world as a problem. We don't need to, to, to be uncompassionate. We actually need to be very compassionate because they're lost in their sin, just like we were. They're without a shepherd, just like we are, were. And then in Luke's account of the gospel, the Bible says that, that the day began to wear away. He called the 12. Uh, the 12 said, send the multitudes away. They were in a desert place. But in verse 13, Luke chapter 9 and verse 13, Jesus said to his disciples, give ye them to eat. In other words, they were, they were hungry. And listen, that's another picture for us of, of what it means to be lost. Listen, the lost world has a hunger, even if they don't realize it. They have a hunger for the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's there's a God-shaped hole in every human that that God has crafted to to realize their sin and and also realize their need for a Savior. Every human has that understanding. Every human understands their brokenness. You know, every human has a hunger for something that will satisfy them. And every human will try to fill that hole that only God can fill in their life, and maybe they'll fill it, fill it with relationships. Maybe they'll fill it, fill it with addiction. Maybe they'll fill it, fill it with a career. Uh, maybe they'll fill it with uh, a family. Maybe they'll try to fill that void in their life with material possessions. The reality is people are just hungry. They just don't realize what they're hungry for, right? And so God paints a great picture for us of compassion through Jesus Christ, uh, Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 51 says this, Mine eye hath affected my heart. And listen, if you'll see the world God, the way God sees it, you will have compassion on lost people. You'll realize that lost people are just like you. They need a Savior. Um, do you have the kind of compassion that Jesus has? Does your eye affect your heart? Now let me tell you how you know your eye affects your heart. I'll go ahead and give you the end of the story because this series is called dollars and cents. You, you do know that, right? You saw it on the sign when you come in. Let me tell you how you know that your, your eye has affected your heart as it relates to missions. You give to missions. If your eye has affected your heart, then you pray for and give to missions because the Bible says in Matthew 6 and verse 21, where your treasure is, there will your 
heart be also. You want a heart for missions, you give to missions. And if you already have a heart for missions, you're already giving to missions. You're already trying to reach the world and partner with people to get the gospel to the end of the world. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17, this isn't on the screen, but just listen. The Bible says in 1 John 3, verse 17 and 18, Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? In other words, if we have the means to get the gospel to the world, if we have this world's goods and we don't use it and leverage it for the gospel's sake, do we really have compassion? Do do we really have the heart of God? And and John writes and he says, look, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, because that's easy to say, right? I love God. I love missions. I love to see people get saved. Okay, how how are you seeing that practically accomplished through your life? How are you partnering with other people and praying for other people to see that happen? John says, look, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We, we have to do something to really manifest that and prove that. Jude talks about some have compassion, making a difference. God's called us to make a difference. And so, and so we see the, the compassion of Jesus Christ concerning the mission. And then we read the story, and we're just going to hit the highlights There was a contrast of responses. You know, the Lord said, hey, give ye them to eat. And as you read through that story, there are four different types of responses that we see concerning the mission. And and the truth is, we probably all fit in one of these uh, people types that God gives us in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus lifted up his eyes. He saw a great company come to him. He saith to Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? And so the first person that we see in this story is the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the Lord desiring to see the multitudes fed. Okay, The Lord desires to see the multitudes fed. And and if you were to go to Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke chapter 9, in all three companion passages, Jesus says, give ye them to eat. The Lord has a, a burden and a desire to see the multitudes fed. And we're not talking about ending poverty, by the way. Okay? Jesus said, you'll have the poor with you always. You'll never end it. Doesn't mean you can't minister, but it paints a spiritual picture of the spiritual reality that people need the bread of life. So the Lord is desiring to see the multitudes fed. The first guy to answer, you got to be careful as a disciple of Jesus, because, man, man, listen, you know, your words get recorded in God's eternal word, right? Thank God that thing's complete, by the way. <laughs> so mine and your words don't make it in there. Amen? I mean, I mean it's like open mouth, insert foot. So, so look, at, look at the first guy, verse 7. Philip answered him, you know, because he's got to be the first guy to answer. Philip answered him and he said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take, how much? A little. Okay, so the first guy that, that, that responds to the Lord is Philip. And you know what he did? He declined the mission as an impossibility. He looked at the circumstances. He, he, he knew there were 5,000 men, and, and you know, most of those guys may have been married, and may have had 2.5 kids. So there's 10 to 15,000 people here, right? And Philip looks at the multitudes, and he looks at what they have, and he says, man, there's no way. This is impossible, he saw it as an impossibility. And it's interesting, by the way, if you were to take the time 
we don't have the time this morning, but 200 penny worth. Well, a penny worth is a day's wages. Maybe write down Matthew chapter 20 and verse 2, and just as a measure of money, biblically speaking, a penny would have been a day's wages worth of, of money, Matthew chapter 20 and verse 2. And literally what he is saying is 200 days wages would not be sufficient to feed this many people. That gives you the, 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 the kind of the grand, grandiose vastness of, of this impossible task. He's like, man, if, if we took a man's salary for a year, 260 days of working in our culture, I think, about 260 days of uh, working per calendar year. If we took all of that, we can't buy enough bread to feed these people even a little. Okay, so, so he's saying, man, this thing's impossible. You know, Philip's problem is the same problem we have sometimes. Uh, Philip didn't know Luke chapter 18 and verse 27 because the Bible says the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Amen. Do you know you serve a God that is, he is the God of the impossible? I mean, do you realize that? He's able to resurrect the dead to life. He is able to part the Red Sea. He is able to, to feed his people with manna from heaven. He is the God of supply and resupply. He is God of the impossible. Philip forgot that. He hadn't learned that yet. You know, sometimes we haven't learned that. We look at ministry. We look at this great commission. We see as impossibility. Uh, we're kind of acting like Philip when we do that. The second guy to answer, verse, verse 8, uh, is a guy named Andrew. Look what he says in verses 8 to 9. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, said to him, there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two fishes. But what are they among so many? And so the second guy to step up, at least to, to verbalize maybe some concern, is Andrew. He is doubtful of the mission due to insufficiency. In other words, it, okay, look, man. He tried a little more than Philip, right? I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, Philip's saying, okay, this is impossible. There's no way we can do this. At, at least Andrew went and said, okay, hey, guys, what do we have? Anybody got anything? What do you have? And, and there's this kid, you know, that, that's got, you know, five loaves and two fishes. Okay, so, so Andrew is saying, well, we have this. There ain't no way, man. It's, it, it's not enough. Here's what we have, but it's still not enough. And so Andrew is doubtful because of insufficiency. I mean, he's looking for a reasonable solution, and I respect that. You know, maybe he's part engineer, part problem solver. What do we have? What can we do? And then news gets back that all we have is five loaves and two fishes. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, are y'all holding out? I mean, what are y'all doing? You know, this one kid, right? Uh, here's what we have. It's surely not enough. And then, and then the fourth person, of course, is the lad himself, right? The lad. And this is, this is where we want to be as it relates to the Great Commission. We want to be like the lad, okay? Because, because the lad was determined to give to the mission. And listen, he gave what he had, okay? He gave what he had. And, and, and John chapter 6, verse 9, the, Andrew says, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two fishes, but what are they among so many? You know, the Bible defines that term lad several times in Scripture. If you go back to the Old Testament, let me just give you a few references. Genesis 21 Ishmael was called a lad in Genesis 21. He's 14 years old. I just want to give you maybe some biblical framework for about the age of this young man that was willing to give what he had. Genesis 20, 
2 and verse 5, Isaac, when Abraham and Isaac are going up to, to the mountain, and, and Abraham's called to sacrifice his son Isaac, the Bible calls Isaac a lad. And although it doesn't give his specific age, he's old enough to carry the wood of the burnt offering on his shoulders of that mountain. In Genesis chapter 37, Joseph is called a lad, and he's 17 years old at that point in his life. And so here's the point. In all probability, according to the Word of God, this lad is a teenager. He's a young man. He, 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 he doesn't have much, but what he does have, he's willing to give. And, you know, 1 Timothy talks about uh, when Paul wrote to Timothy, you know, as a young minister, a, a young man, he said, let no man despise thy youth, right? God can use any age, including young people. He can use young people. And, and actually, in this scenario, this young man's willingness to give what he had is going to feed multitudes because of his willingness. And I think that's a great example for us. Uh, so here's the principle that we have to, to kind of come to terms with. You know, God has called us to reach the world. And, and I don't know what the latest numbers are, seven point something billion people, I think, on this planet, uh, many of whom have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, we could look at that and say, man, there's no way we can do that. That's impossible. Well, we sound a lot like Philip when we say that. Or, or maybe at our church, we would say things like, well, you know what, we're just a little church. We don't have much to give. Well, well that sounds a lot like Andrew, doesn't it? We just don't have enough to reach the world. Well, here's what I know. If we can see the world the way this lad sees it and see an opportunity, then God can bless the opportunity. And so here's the principle. Look, we, we are either going to see missions as an impossibility or we're going to see as an opportunity. And God wants us to see an opportunity to take what we have and to bless it and to break it and to multiply it and, and to really do a miracle all over this world. Honestly, I mean, I, I really think God gave us this miracle for this reason. Um, you know, Jesus' response never changes. He's continually compassionate to the world. Some of us might, may be like Philip. We deny that that Great Commission is even possible. Some of us are doubtful. You know, we don't think we can make a difference. And even financially, because we are going to talk about a financial investment, what can my small amount do in the grand scheme of things? I'm going to show you it can do a lot. I'm going to show you it can do a whole lot. If you're just willing to surrender, to, to see God use it to reach other people, then God can do so much more because he's the God of the impossible. And that's the point. Okay, so number three, we've got to hurry. So, so number three is this. We, we need to see that there is cooperation that's needed to achieve the mission. And we get that out of verse 11. There is cooperation that's needed. So look at verse 11. The Bible says, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks... He distributed to who? To the disciples, and then the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. Okay, so, so here's the principle. This whole scenario had multiple moving pieces. Jesus didn't just open the heavens and rain down manna. Could he have done that? He's got a history of doing that. He could, he could have done that. He wanted to, to get these guys to cooperate together. And so, you know, when we talk about the lad being willing to give what he, what, he, what he had, here's the principle that we can apply in our life. Look, God can use what we have if we're willing to surrender to him. That's a simple principle, right? The, the five loaves and the two fishes had to move from the lad's hands to Jesus' hands. 
God can use what you have if you're willing to surrender it to him. When you look at Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9, all three instances, the Bible says that Jesus, when he took those five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven, he blessed those things, he broke those things, and he gave it to the disciples to distribute to the multitudes. Let me just make a few comments and then we'll go on. Here's the point. God can't bless and break and multiply what we have not released to him. Okay, listen, that, that applies to a multitude of areas in our life. You know, that's true of our life. If you want a life of being used by God, you have to, if you want God to bless your life and break your life and use it for his glory, listen, you have to, you have to surrender it to him first. The reason sometimes in our life we don't see God using us is because we've not fully surrendered to him. If you want to see God, man, bless your life, surrender it to him. If you want to see God bless your marriage, Jay, I thought we were talking about money. Uh, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if you've been married long. <laughs> if you've been married long, you're going to talk about money. Amen? And if you don't talk about it, you ain't going to be married long. I'm just telling you straight up. Straight up. <laughs> trying to help y'all. <laughs> if, you, if you want God to bless your marriage, then you have to surrender that marriage to him. And he can break it. He can mold it. He can make it. He can, he can use it for his glory. And listen, of course, our money, man, listen, we, we have to surrender our finances to him because, by the way, they're his finances. And when we put it back in his hands, he's able to do what we can't do in our own, in our own power, in our own flesh. That's, the, that's, that's true of our ministry. Listen, if many of you serve in ministry, and I'm thankful for that. But listen, the way to get God's blessing on your ministry is to realize you need to surrender it back to God. Let God break you. Let God take what you've willingly given to him and let him bless it and break it. And, and friend, if you'll do that, then God will multiply it. You see, the problem in our churches is we're just not willing to surrender. We would say, I want to be used of God. I want to be blessed of God. But the truth is we've never surrendered ourselves into his hands. And I know, man, it's kind of scary, right? I, I got to give up the thing that I think is most important to me. Well, think about that young lad. That's his provision. That's his food. But yet he's willing to give of himself even being willing to put himself out there so that he goes without, so that God could use it. Uh, you know, there's a story in, in Mark chapter 14, we don't have time, but in Mark chapter 14, uh, Jesus is in Simon uh, the leper's house. In Mark 14, verses 3 to 6, there's a woman that comes in during this meal, and she has an alabaster box of ointment. And, and many of you know this story. This, this ointment was spikenard. The Bible says it was very precious. It was very costly. Some people would, would even say that that was the, the ointment that she would have used to anoint her marriage bed. Uh, and, and so she comes into the house, and, and Jesus is there, uh, and these guys are, are eating. They're at supper. And the Bible says that she broke the box, and she poured the contents on Jesus' head. And the disciples saw that, and they said, man, what a waste. Why, why would you do such a thing? Why, why, why would you not sell that for 300 pence? In other words, another 300 days labor, right? Yeah. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She hath wrought a good work on me. The point is this. The things that we consider precious to us, 
well, well, God can't really use it and bless it until it's broken. She had to break the box. She didn't have to, but she wanted to. And she wanted to pour it on upon the Lord because, because listen, she valued him more than anything else in this world. And that's the key. I mean, that's the, that's the key to it all. When you value the Lord, all of a sudden, you don't have a problem tithing. You don't have a problem giving to missions. You don't have a, a problem surrendering your marriage to him because he's so much more valuable. And you want God to bless it. And, and listen, the only way to be blessed is really to be broken in God's hands. And, and, and that's, where, that's where we struggle many times. You know, uh, I, was, I was talking in Sunday school class. You know, there really is a supply chain in this miracle uh, the Lord didn't go around and feed the multitudes. Uh, that young lad didn't go feed the multitudes. The lad took what he had and he gave it to Jesus. And then Jesus blessed it and he broke it. And Jesus gave it to the disciples. And then the disciples took it to the multitudes. And again, it shows the power of partnerships. The truth is we can't all go to a foreign country. We can't all go to Calhoun every week. Right? I mean, I mean, we can. Some of us can. Thank God for that, man. But, but we all can't do that. But here's what I know what we, we all can do. We can all give. We can all give. And, and we may not give the same thing, and, and the amount is irrelevant, because once it's in the Lord's hand, He is the one that blesses, breaks, and multiplies it. And then we have to partner with people all over this planet that can take that and get the gospel to the people that need to hear it. So right now, Justin and Mandy Bedwell, well, not now because they're probably, you know, they're finished up with church, but it's like 9 p.m. over there. But, but today they have spent time ministering in Jesus' name and we've been able to partner with them. And so our church has had an impact all the way on the other side of the, of the globe. Thank God for that. Uh, look at verse 4, or, 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 or point number 4 is this, the completion of the mission. Look at verse 12, the completion of the mission. So when we do it God's way, the work can be accomplished. If we don't do it God's way, the work will never get accomplished. And, and I'm just telling you, it's important that we understand God's principles and God's uh, pattern of ministry. Verse 12, the Bible says, when they were filled. Uh, does it say when they had just a little bit and, you know, I mean, they, they just, you know, they had an appetizer and they're good? No, when they were what? When they were filled. In other words, these guys ate until they were satisfied. They ate till they were full. How many of you eat till you're full? Own it. I know you do. <laughs> I mean, let's, any buffet people in the house? All right. <laughs> you eat till, you're, till you are full, man. I'm not eating until, you know, if I'm still hungry. I, 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 so these guys ate till they were full. And then he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore, they gathered them together, and they filled 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which remained over and above them that had eaten. Man, the cool thing in this story is not only was there enough, there was abundance, there was even surplus. And so the two points in your notes are this. Look, those that received, in other words, the multitudes, the Bible says they were filled. They were satisfied. Don't miss the picture that God's word is painting. The multitudes are the masses. It's the lost world. If we can get the gospel to them, friends, they will be satisfied. Amen? I mean, listen, the bread of life, they, they will be full of enjoying who Christ is. Matthew 5 and verse 6 says, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Psalm 34 and verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. 
We got the greatest message on this planet that you can be full, man, you can be satisfied with the person of Jesus Christ. And if we can get the message there, that will be accomplished. The second thing that we see in this is this, those that distributed had surplus. So from five loaves and two fishes, you know, however that, however that worked, I mean, I know the Lord blessed it and he broke it and he split it up amongst those disciples. So maybe those guys just had a little basket of, of a handful of pieces, but every time they gave out, it was replenished and they just kept going and they just kept going and they just kept going and, and the luncheon lasted or the dinner lasted until everybody was full. Oh, you know, you're laid, you're laid back on the couch like, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you're in like that food coma. You know what I'm saying, right? They were laying up in the food coma, man. They were, they were satisfied. And then there's 12 baskets of food left over. I mean, they got take-home boxes. Are you kidding me? I mean, they were surplus. I mean, that's when you know you've, you've, you've ate good. I mean, you are full, you had a great meal, and oh, by the way, we got some for tomorrow. That's awesome. Uh, I think it's interesting that there's 12 baskets, there were 12 disciples, right, that distributed. By the way, the young man that, that gave all that he had, not only got a little, he was satisfied. He was filled. Whatever he had may not have filled him, but what he got from the Lord filled him, right? Does it make sense? Uh, and then lastly is this, the confession that results from the mission, so, so, man, everybody was full because they need Jesus. That's the point. And then the last thing is there's this great profession or confession at the end of this miracle. The Bible says in verse 14, then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, who did the miracle? I just want to make sure. It wasn't the disciples. It wasn't the young lad. It was Jesus. When they saw the miracle that Jesus did, they said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. Jesus reiterated his deity by that miracle, and people believed on him. And that's the whole point. Those disciples realized who Jesus was. He is that prophet who should come into the world. That's the whole point of the book of John, by the way. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 says this. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples check this out, which are not written in this book. So there's more stuff that Jesus did that just didn't make the cut, okay? But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye may have life through his name. God, God gave you every, at least in the book of John, and I would say in every book of the Bible, God gave you those written things so that you could be assured that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. Those disciples realized that. Those people that got fed that day, they realized that. When we preach the gospel and we see God do a miracle at Calhoun Community College or in Zambia, Africa, or in Bolivia, or in Peru, when we see God do a miracle like that, we step back and say, Jesus is God. Look what he did. Look at these people that got saved. Look at these people that got prayed for. Look at these people we were able to partner with. And look at, look at all these things. And we just step back and we confess, man, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. So look, close your Bibles, but, but take your bulletin out because there's a second sheet of paper in there that I want to draw your attention to real quick. And, and as, as you close your Bibles, let me ask you a few questions. Look, not to, you know, we, we have to ask questions, right, when we hear God's word to make, make us think. 
Do we desire to see the multitude saved? That is God's heart. God's desire was that you get saved. God's desire is that the world has the opportunity to respond to the gospel. I want to make sure that we understand that's God's desire. He has compassion on those that, that, that are hurt and broken and sick in their sin, that are hungering, and they don't even know what they're hungering for. God has that kind of compassion. Jesus has that kind of compassion. And that's the mission that we're called to, church. And so, look, we, we have to make sure our response is right. We don't want to deny the mission at hand, like Philip. Uh, it's impossible. Forget it. I need to go about my life, my own business. Let's, let's don't deny it. And secondly, let's don't be doubtful, because it's easy to look at, again, our, our, our little church, right? And, and you know, I thank God for a little church, man, with a big heart. Thank God for it, because when I read my Bible... God's the God of the impossible, and many times he uses the, the little guy. I don't know if you read the story of David and Goliath by any chance. <laughs> a lot of times he uses the little guy to, to whip up on the big one. And uh, let's don't be doubtful, and let's really trust that God can sufficiently, through our tithes, through our offerings to missions, man, really have an impact in the world.